what you are about to listen to is a work of imagination, but not fantasy, set in the year 2050. A crowd of 500,000 people gather along Avenida Paulista for the kickoff of the 10th annual Paulista Grand Prix. The Sao Paulo Museum of Art marks the start of the street circuit. This is where 25 cars wait idly for the race to begin. Among the riders is Bella Tanaka. My first big race. Team radio feed connected. It's one of the quietest Grand Prix yet. Race commentary feed connected. I've installed a new ultra lightweight battery that I'm hoping gives me the extra boost I'll need to make the top five. Battery health 98%. The circuit was upgraded to wireless battery charging this year, which will mean fewer pit stops too. I hope this PR move works and cities introduce wireless charging faster now. I'd love to not have to charge at all in my personal time, too. Ugh. Raul Gonzalez is next to me. He's the guy that kept trying to cut me off in the qualifiers. More than making it in the top five, I just want to beat him. Hey, Bella! Good luck keeping up! You're gonna need it! Whoa. Three. That throat-slashing gesture is uncalled for. The nerve of that guy. Two. No time for distractions. I've got to focus. One. Today in 2050, sustainability and safety are at the heart of vehicles and transportation infrastructure. In this final episode of season one of our series, we'll explore how electric vehicles revolutionized the industry and created a sustainable circular economy. We'll also delve into advancements in charging technology that allowed EVs to overtake the internal combustion engine. I'm your host, Mutinta Banda, and you're listening to Climate Vision 2050. charging services hit major highways across the country. New fleets of autonomous public transit vehicles were unveiled in 2030 in major cities. The ban on purchasing internal combustion engine vehicles in 2034 has led to record sales for electric vehicles. Back in Sao Paulo, Bella has taken ninth place as the race weaves through the city center. Because of the tight roads, the cars are taking it slower in this section, maxing at speeds of just under 200 kilometers per hour. Computer, show me an AR projection for the optimal position for drag behind car number 60. Wait, what's going on? My battery isn't charging? I specifically swapped for the low mileage ultra lightweight model because of the wireless charging. Raul Gonzalez in car 23 overtakes 14 driven by Bella Tanaka. Hey, pit crew. Our charging coils operating at full capacity. Looks like it. Hold on. We'll run a complete diagnostic of your battery and charging system. Uh, your wireless charging isn't giving off a signal. What? Ugh. I've got to come in for an early pit stop on the seventh lap. Copy that. We'll be ready. I don't know if I'll even be able to catch up, but I'll run out of power if I don't. 
The first electric vehicle tests occurred back in the 1830s, but it wasn't until the early 21st century that electric vehicles started to take off. In the 2020s, we were still getting our feet wet with the use of batteries in, in vehicles. So by the end of the decade, roughly a third of new vehicles sold were electric. Some of the metro areas still uh, were just starting to have zero emission use zones. And even by the end of the decade, 90% of the vehicles that are on the road were still using fossil fuels. Those batteries were able to get you 300 miles. You would need to charge at fixed charging stations. And it was still not ubiquitous in terms of everyone thinking and seeing how it was the best for their pocketbooks. That's Nathan Neese, Partner and Associate Director of Electrification and Climate Change at BCG. Since 2048, he has been a board member at Vault Go, a full-service EV and autonomous ride-sharing company headquartered in Chicago. It's effectively the, the ride-sharing apps that folks might have known from the 2020s on steroids. And I coordinate all the vehicles in our zero-emission zone in the outer ring of Chicago. Our fleet has a mix of autonomous vehicles, human-driven vehicles, all shapes and sizes, single occupants to larger vehicles, and we coordinate ride pickups, charging and cleaning schedules, maintenance and battery replacements, and a whole lot more. Vault Go is a service that was made possible by the past 30 years of advancements in electric vehicle and autonomous driving technologies. It came from a need to transition to sustainable driving solutions, such as ride-sharing, Financial incentives were key as they propelled the adoption of EVs. When policymakers thought through how we were going to meet our climate goals, they zeroed in on needing to get fossil fuel vehicles off the road. So they provided incentives to switch over. Sometimes they provided incentives that even led to trade-ins of vehicles. So that way we could take those fossil fuel vehicles off the road faster than they might have otherwise. electric vehicles on the road meant more batteries and more charging infrastructure. Hans-Erik Mellon is a managing director at Circular Energy Storage, a London-based consultancy focused on lithium-ion battery life cycle management. A diversification of materials in the batteries we were developing was needed. Raw material scarcity and geopolitical security concerns drove the industry to move away from materials found only in a handful of countries. We understood that if we wanted to make this really big scale, that today that the whole world are using these batteries in transportation and in other kind of applications, then it was key really to get to the point where we use more abundant materials, sulfur and, and not least on the sodium. I mean, material that is much more abundant than, for instance, in lithium-ion batteries, which we still have. Basically, it's use the same kind of technology, but different kind of, of chemicals. Today in 2050, batteries made out of novel materials such as manganese, sulfur and sodium help to alleviate the pressure of mining and diversify supply chains. Mining for traditional battery materials can be problematic for climate and political reasons. In the 2020s, 90% of the world's cobalt came from the Democratic Republic of Congo. That was just too geographically concentrated, especially in a country with less stable political regimes and a poorer record of good business practices. And for lithium, lithium that came from South America was found in more desert-like climates. 
that lithium production from those brines in the 2020s was fairly water intensive. And there became a real question of, is that water best allocated to support mining production that then serves the world's climate goals? Or should it continue to be reserved for local towns and villages that have called those locations homes for generations? In some parts of the world, Battery swapping was a crucial innovation that significantly reduced the overall demand for batteries by allowing drivers to replace their depleted batteries with fully charged ones at service stations. This eliminated wait times and lowered costs since drivers could select batteries that matched their current needs instead of having to pay for maximum capacity batteries. I think it really took off when battery swapping also were more adaptive. Over the week, you could have like a 20 kilowatt hour battery, which usually takes anyone to wherever they need for their daily needs. But then over the weekend or when you were traveling, you could easily swap that to 80 kilowatt hours. I mean, we, that is something we see all the time today. Swapping services have many challenges, though. The complexity and costs of these types of services have been a substantial barrier. Most battery pack designs are not accessible, and this has often been a barrier to adoption in major markets. The other part of why we don't see swappable batteries taking off nearly as much is because batteries charge so quickly. So if I can charge a battery and not have to remove it, but I can still charge in five or ten minutes, then a one or a two minute or a three minute swappable battery exchange is, is not really saving much time. Before fast charging became the norm, charging stations along major routes became popular destinations with various amenities for drivers to enjoy as they waited for their vehicles to charge. Today, these charging stations are mostly outdated as fast charging decreases wait times. Batteries can even charge wirelessly through coils embedded in roadways. All of the different charging methods available today work in tandem with each other to create a seamless experience for drivers. There's still no single solution today for charging. We have fixed chargers at home and fast chargers around town. We have the use of swappable batteries that we can deploy heavily in our fleets to further limit downtime. And we're able to take advantage of wireless charging that has been put in by governments and other infrastructure companies in some of the most densely packed areas. And then, because the batteries themselves are so much faster charging than we saw in prior decades, we don't need nearly as much infrastructure as what was required in the 2020s and the 2030s. The charging locations that remain have much higher utilization and faster turnaround. All of that's come together to create a really well-functioning charging ecosystem. Rapid charging infrastructure expansion in 2028 replaced existing stations and reduced charging times from about 30 minutes to just five. In 2035, the majority of visitors to en-route service stops are there for fast charging versus gasoline refueling. The cost of travel is significantly lower by 2045 as autonomous and electric vehicles are powered by renewable electricity. Back at the race in Sao Paulo, Bella has reached the pit stop at Avenida Paulista and Rua de Consolação. Computer, turn on autopilot and navigate into the pit. Bella's pit crew jumps out with fresh dandelion rubber tires, a sustainable substitute for the rubber tires popular until the mid-30s. Bella, we've run some tests on the OS. The issue doesn't appear to be software related. I'm going to have to check the battery compartment. What's that small round thing? It shouldn't be here. 
Hyperwave Hulk 13. Oh, it's a wireless signal jammer. I didn't even think you could still get those. What could it be doing in my ca- <gasps> Raul. Ugh. I guess he knows he's not fast enough to win without cheating. Don't worry. He can't drive like you. We'll get him. Oh, I know we will. Perfect. Readings from your wireless charging signal show transmission has started up again. All right, we're back up and running, but without a battery cooling midway, you might run into overheating. You need to skip the pit stop the others will have to take. I'll have to rely on wireless charging to get all the way to the finish line. I know it's a gamble, but I've got this. Today in 2050, advancements in charging technology resulted in batteries shrinking in size, which in turn reduced demand for the materials required to manufacture each battery. The reduction in demand for mining new materials was a positive environmental impact of battery swapping. However, to significantly reduce the footprint of the EV industry, it was necessary to move towards a circular battery economy government regulations played a vital role in driving this transition. And so the more we do not have to mine from the earth, but can actually do what's called urban mining or recycling from the batteries that are already in the system, then we can be a lot more efficient with what's already been pulled out of the ground. The process of urban mining for batteries is straightforward. It involves dismantling recyclable materials and reassembling them into a new battery. When a battery is deemed for recycling, you remove the battery pack from the main application. And today we, we mainly have the, the cells uh, installed directly in the pack. These cells can be dismantled just like the, the cells are dismantled from the pack. So you basically separate the, the anode from the cathode and then the anode can be recycled separately. I think what's great with, with the cells today is really how we are doing this in a much more sophisticated way. And uh, you also get a much better yield. So you, we, we can really use much more of the material than what we used to be able to do. Urban mining not only reduces the demand for virgin mining, but also presents opportunities to further reduce the environmental impact of battery production. For instance, lithium, which is primarily found in water-scarce regions, requires a considerable amount of water during the production process. But urban mining presents an easy solution to this problem. Society in the 2020s rightfully challenged the battery industry on whether we were simply replacing pulling oil from the ground with pulling battery raw materials from the ground, and if this was any more sustainable. While we did end up pulling lots of lithium and nickel and manganese from the earth, it was not infinite. And today, recycling is able to supply greater than 90% of new battery needs. These recycling sites are localized, they're closer to urban centers where cars are used, and they're able to recover metals using renewable energy. It is a much better system. And with diversification of the types of materials that are being used in batteries, mining locally has become a more viable and affordable option. We have now some of the other materials, manganese, graphite, silicon, sulfur. All these materials were much more plentiful than the ones in the 2020s where we were less geographically diverse 
more subjected to supply chain challenges because it came from a handful of countries. Now materials can be mined local for local. The circular economy is local for local. We don't need to be shipping materials all around the world, but it can stay in both a closed ecosystem, but also a much more localized ecosystem, which is significantly more beneficial as an economic engine for different countries. It's much more resilient in terms of the supply chains that we've developed. To create a closed-loop supply for batteries, policymakers and industry experts emphasize the need for a zero-emission approach, beginning with the mining process. Thanks to these efforts, today in 2050, the life cycle of a battery has become a closed loop. So it starts with zero-emission mining. The processes in place there to extract Materials now have zero-emission mining trucks. All the equipment that's used there is powered by renewable energy. As those materials are then brought to battery factories, these battery factories are now terawatt-hour scaled, and they are powered entirely by renewable energy, often hydropower. Then as those batteries are put into a vehicle, each one of those auto manufacturing plants, again, are running on renewable energy and renewable power and heat. Back in Sao Paulo, race cars zoom through the picturesque neighborhoods of Jardines and Bella Vista, weaving through the quaint streets lined with upscale shops, cafes, and boutiques. Number 14, Bella Tanaka, has made her way back into the top five after that very interesting lap seven pit stop choice. We're now at lap 25, when all the other cars are likely to make their stops, so she'll be looking to make up some ground. Come on, Raul, don't you need fresh tires? Ah, turn in, turn in! Looks like the third place Gonzalez in number 23 is opting for that stop. Yes! Now's my time. Computer, show me my optimal path along this stretch with current wind conditions in AR. Now I've just got to stick to this as much as possible. Pit crew, how's the battery doing? Looking good, Bella. Charging normally now. Overheating? Not yet. Still, it's going to be tight to get to the finish line before the battery gets dangerously hot. I'll make it. Bella Tanaka is making up some serious ground right now. The question is, is it enough? Raul looks like he's about to re-enter the circuit. Looks like he will make it out a few seconds ahead of you. Okay, I've got an idea. Oh boy, here goes nothing. 14 is taking a close cut to the wall around the bend. Scarily close even. If she touches the wall, her car will go into safety brace mode and shut down. So she better be careful. But this could also be the move she needs to become competitive in this race again. Oh, and here comes 23 from the pits. Come on! Wow, what a comeback. Bella Tanaka has gone from last to third place, overtaking Rahul Gonzalez. Yes! Okay, just a bit further now. Wow, what a move, Bella. You're looking at some dangerously high temperatures on the lithium-air battery. It's going to be tough to make it to the finish line at this power. As technological advancements propelled electric vehicles forward, autonomous driving was taking off as well. This reduced the need for everyone to know how to drive manually providing greater transportation accessibility. By the time we got to the 2050s, many folks, including myself, don't even have a driver's license, especially in metro areas and in some of the more developed economies. Autonomous vehicles just completely reshaped how we get about 
Autonomous electric vehicles brought a new era for transportation in our city cores, including public transport infrastructure. I remember a time when connectivity in a bus was that you could, you could stand at the bus stop and then on a digital display you could see when your bus likely would come to your bus stop. That was a technology part of public transportation. Today it's nothing like that. Today we have much more nimble vehicles that, that takes us with a few others to exactly to those places we need to go. And there is a computer inside that calculates that route in a best efficient way. Because of the evolution of EVs and autonomous driving, plumes of smoke and massive traffic jams are no longer a common sight in our city centers. The new possibilities unlocked by these innovations have revolutionized how people move around. Because the vehicles are autonomous, I mean, they are driving so much better than what people were doing in the city. So they obviously drive much closer to other vehicles and what we used to do. We create a lot of space and we, we, I think we have a better environment today. Autonomous electric vehicles in cores also bring other opportunities to clear the streets, as they can drop passengers off at locations and then leave to their next destination. These cars don't need to be parked. I mean, imagine a city where, where all these sides of the road were just parked cars. That is a reality we had 30 years ago. Today's autonomous and electric vehicles are also designed very differently from 30 years ago. The autonomous vehicles that we have today are much lighter and roomier than the vehicles folks may have known from the 2020s. And that's because you don't need bumpers. You don't need steering wheels. There's just different pieces of a vehicle that we don't require anymore because there's no accidents associated with autonomous vehicles. You don't need that level of crashworthiness and safety that existed in, in vehicles of prior generations. And so autonomous vehicles have really allowed us to reimagine what a vehicle needs to be. Back in Sao Paulo, Bella and Rahul are nearing the end of the race. They're neck and neck in third and fourth place as they come tearing down Avenida Paulista at 300 kilometers per hour toward the finish line. Oh my gosh, I'm so close. I could place in third. It's all straight from here. Computer, engage maximum aerodynamic mode. The top of Bella's car sinks inward. The oval roof slides backward creating a tighter and lower height off the ground, allowing the vehicle to cut through the air with greater ease. It gets real cozy in here when the roof is this low. I just hope my speed increase doesn't shut the battery down for overheating. Wow, number 14 is clocking in at 350 kilometers. Incredible. Raul is right beside me. This is going to be close. Oh, my battery heat warning lights just came on. Ugh. Oh, Tanaka in 14 and Gonzalez in 23 are coming in so close that by the naked eye, it's seemingly impossible to place them. We'll have to check the line sensor. Oh my gosh, I'm in the top five. Did I cross before Raul? Well, it was certainly a very close call, but we can confirm that the third place spot goes to Bella Tanaka 43 milliseconds before Raul Gonzalez. Woo, we did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In your face! <laughs> Woo! Oh, what a wild ride! 
Plans for a zero emission city core by 2028 have increased demand for EVs. New policy in 2034 has forced battery manufacturers to increase urban mining efforts. The automotive battery industry is looking to close the loop, with new green strategies being implemented by 2042. Today in 2050, the electric vehicle transition has revolutionized our commuting habits and significantly curbed our carbon footprint. Reflecting on the past, there were some key actions that got us here. Regulations were huge when policymakers thought through how we were going to meet our climate goals. They zeroed in on needing to get fossil fuel vehicles off the road by cities, states, countries committing to the end of the internal combustion engine, getting those vehicles off the road faster. That was a major driver that set the drumbeat for everything else. With that, we then had massive innovation that the automakers and even new companies in the electronics world and others committed to saying, if we now know the future is going to be electric, let's make it the best type of electric vehicle that we can possibly put out there. And the ingenuity that was around squeezing even more power out of a battery, faster charging, making it an experience that people would happily switch over to versus one that they would begrudgingly shift into and see it as a downside was a major feat of technology improvement and working together. But there is still more work that needs to be done. Electric vehicles have yet to be introduced globally in a uniform manner, often leaving poorer countries behind. The biggest challenge is also an opportunity, of course. We had brought so much more infrastructure to the whole of the world. The whole discussion around electrification and in many ways road infrastructure was uh, so much more tied to not only to the Western world, but to the global north, in a sense. And I think it's really the expansion over the entire globe. It's a challenge, but it's, of course, it's a great opportunity to give people in the whole world access to energy, access to transportation in a sustainable way. You've been listening to Climate Vision 2050, a podcast from BCG that explores how the world radically reduced carbon emissions and saved itself from climate catastrophe. Our narrator, Mutinda Banda, is played by Atibo Onan, Race car driver Bella Tanaka is played by Rebecca Mozo. Our pit crew actor is Rogerio Jajim. You heard from Nathan Nice, partner and associate director of electrification and climate change at BCG, as well as Hans-Eric Mellin, managing director at Circular Energy Storage, a London-based consultancy focused on lithium-ion battery lifecycle management. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lower Street, a full-service podcast production agency that creates amazing shows for brands that want great, not good. BCG is a global consulting firm committed to climate and sustainability action. We understand there are many possible futures, and we hope you enjoy our journey through some of them in this series. Learn more about our work on climate and sustainability at bcg.com climate.